Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, uh, publisher of Earsports.com. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mike Sazza. Mike, coming up from the depths of the West Virginia locker room, this is moments after the Mountaineers' loss from Texas Tech. What is the vibe like down there? It's kind of um, the conditioned response. I think we talked about this the other day, is that they've lost so many games in a row now. It's 56 days since our last win. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but that's the truth. And um, that's a long time. And they're just kind of used to this now. I'm not saying that they're okay with it or they're complacent, but um, I don't see them overreacting or anything. You know, they're not they're not crying, they're not fired up or fat, but, you know, mad about things, or whatever. They don't like to win. I get that, but like, this isn't a team that's devastated by that. But maybe that's an issue. Um, we'll get into some of the responses from the coach and then some of the responses from the players. But I think maybe the coach is trying to shake it up a little bit by using some language to get these things so it's not okay because. That was a team on the field that looked like it was okay with what was happening and that was okay with the score for a while and that was okay with how preparation had affected performance, which is not what you want to see. Um, but also maybe a team that kind of thought it had achieved something, um, what, 12 days ago against Baylor? And, excuse me, nine days ago against Baylor and didn't really work out. So um, I think a little bit of confusion, understanding that this season wasn't going anywhere a while ago probably, has probably caused them some problems later in the season, though. Yeah, this was a game where West Virginia out-yarded Texas Tech, uh, averaged seven yards per play, and ended up with 17 points, seven of those coming in the final seconds in garbage time, turned it over four times, was abysmal in the red zone, pretty horrible on third down until the last drive or two, and... Really, I, you know, you look at the stats. If somebody just looked at the box score, maybe not even a scoreboard, just the box score, 500 yards passing, uh, seven yards per play, all this stuff makes you think that, hey, maybe the offense was okay. And it was really anything but. Um, it, it was a struggle out there against one against the worst defense. Worst. In the Big 12. Oh, maybe second worst. Um. Where do, where do we start here? Here's, here's how weird of the day it is. Here's how weird of the day it is. The guy who caught 14 passes for 223 yards. Are we sure Sam James had a good game? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, and I mean, then if, if, like, if two or three years from now or 25 years from now, you're talking to your friends, like remember that time in November, Mountaineer Field, nice day, leaves are turning, yeah, two losing teams, but man, the quarterback – Threw for 355 yards, and he got pulled at the end of the third quarter. What a great day. 355 yards passing. That's a great day, right? No, Austin Kendall got pulled because he and or the offense stunk for large stretches, and they finally had to make a change, and they did. It's certainly not on him again. Um, I don't think you can say that he lost the game, but they weren't going to win it with him playing the way he played and those around him play. But I'm not also sure if he was the bad guy in this game either. Some decisions are his, sure. Um, didn't get a lot of help again, which maybe again is why he changed it. But um, defensively was okay in the second half again. Um, bend, don't break, I guess, but just so bad in the first half, though, which was a surprise. Just a really uneven performance that um, honestly, this game was over middle of the second quarter, probably. Yeah, there's there's a lot to wrap our heads around here. 
in regards to this game. But let's start on offense with Kendall. You mentioned it, 355 yards passing through three quarters. The problem was he had no touchdowns, two picks, and probably should have had at least three touchdowns, maybe four. He should have, given what was available to him, had about – Five, 450, 500 yeah. yards and three touchdowns through three quarters. I mean, that's what he should have had, but didn't. And Brown kind of alluded to it when I think the question was asked of him, maybe he overthrew the ball or underthrew the ball, and Brown quickly corrected. There was no overthrowing. He was <laughs> always underthrowing. And they discussed that wrap on his hand, which he has had for a month now, and it's obviously affecting him. Yeah, it drew our attention, and the reason that question was asked is it looked like he was wearing a almost like a glove or like a like a weightlifter's glove or something. And he wasn't, I know that, but if you're familiar with that type of look, it, it doesn't cover your fingers, but it covers your palm and your hand. And he had his his index finger wrapped, and that's where he's had that cut on that knuckle. Um, but I also remember he banged his thumb pretty good on a helmet against Baylor, maybe. Um, and that just seemed like it was unusual. I don't think it's been wrapped like that before. They say it's the same thing. I get that. But um, if that hindered him, you probably have to wonder if that also hindered the game plan, too. Because here's my big question. Um, we talked about Texas Tech has the worst or maybe now second worst defense in the Big 12. They do not defend the pass very well. They play three safeties because they're bad on the back end. And their three safeties don't solve a lot of their problems. They're number 129 out of 130 teams in yards per reception, almost 10, which is horrendous. Or excuse me, yards per attempt. Attempt means every time you throw the ball, you're getting a first down on them. That's bad, really bad. Um, and they give up huge plays over the top. I mean, just a ton of big plays. I think number two as far as the worst in the FBS. Um, excuse me, at power five. So you can hit them up. If, if I was blind, and maybe at times today I wish I was, but I was sitting next to you at breakfast tomorrow, and I said, hey, Chris, tell me, what was the game plan? Could you explain it to me? I couldn't because they can't seem to fluctuate between just kind of a lot of flares out to the running back, little short screen passes, a lot of wide receiver screens, especially early. I mean, it, it was just seemed like every other play was a wide receiver screen. And if that didn't work, just heave it downfield. And See, I didn't even think they did that second part often, never mind enough. Well, um, I and guess they, he, the only time he did it, he was always short, so it was pretty memorable. But right away, they let one rip, and it goes to George Campbell for 50 yards, and then there's a bunch of muck in between, and then they go deep to James for 51 yards, and you're wondering, maybe try that more than three times and a half, um, and it didn't happen. And again, I just can't understand. And if you're not going to stretch the field against this defense, why? And at the why is Kendall – you have to change that part of it because you're not going to run because you can't. And if you're not going to threaten the team, the teams of the running game, that that screen stuff isn't going to work either because teams aren't going to be trying to load the box. They're just going to run out and tackle, which is what they did pretty well today. Um, it, it just didn't, it seemed inconsistent with what they could have done. And when you get this late in the season, listen, you really know what teams can and can't do. And the one thing that you can change is is being able to take advantage of what other teams do. Like West Virginia is not going to be able to run the ball, but that's not what you want to do today. Um, West Virginia can throw deep passes. We've seen them connect a couple times, um, and that's what the other team doesn't do well. You, you kind of have to pick on that when you're when you're limited, 
with your firepower and your strengths, you really have to probe and search for weaknesses and try to take advantage of them. And it just seemed like it was too little too late. And maybe that was as much of a reason why this thing got separated because they did punch and punch back a couple times when they threw deep, but um, they just did not have a plan. And they were really bad on first down today. They're really bad on first down. They're really bad on third down. Mm -hmm. They're pretty darn bad on fourth down too. So uh, I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me for second down, but I'm going to assume that they were bad on that as well. Uh, Sam James, you mentioned it. You alluded to it. Neil Brown kind of alluded to it. Said, you know, he had 220 yards receiving, 223 to be exact, uh, but also had four drops. I think I, I think I counted four as well. I counted at least three. A uh, couple of them pretty big ones too. And you noted something during the game, as the game was going on early in the game, that he was kind of just absent-minded out there, or, or however we want to phrase it, whatever excuse we want to give. But not blocking, no. uh, not running routes when the ball no. wasn't coming his way. And then on the sack that I think a lot of people thought was uh, an incomplete but was really a fumble, uh, Texas Tech recovered. Sam James is standing right there, right next to it. And mm. if he jumps on that, it is a West Virginia ball and first down, right? Because that, that's not a uh, advancing the ball. I, I guess it had already advanced because of the hit. So it should have been a first down, no? If yeah, he jumps would, on it. So, and I think if he scoops it up, it's a live ball and he can run it forward too. So um, the beanbag flew right by him. Um, and I don't know. That's that's hard. But the, if, this is kind of where the West Virginia's gotten a little bit slack lately. They, they're they not really detailed. And we saw a bunch of examples where things were sloppy and they had to use timeouts and, and substitutions and everything to try to fix things up. And it's just kind of indicative of what's going on right now. That's not – a play you practice very much, I don't think. But, like, how many times do you see in college or the NFL or high school even where the ball is live? I mean, it could be an incomplete pass, right, just like an incomplete pass. And somebody will pick it up and run, like, 70 yards just yeah. because they're like, oh, it's clearly incomplete. It's like, oh, it's a fumble. That was not clearly incomplete. In fact, it was clearly a fumble upon review, and it was close enough where, like, the one guy who was on the other side of the field, um, he was behind the play, and he was around the ball when it got hit. I mean, he weaved through and went after people. He noticed that there wasn't a whistle, and he noticed that the officials were all standing there um, and went for it. And so somebody did their job there, which is kind of what you have to do. And, again, that's kind of indicative of how things have gone lately, where people are just kind of losing track of details. Um, James ended up, you know, pretty active and, and finally got going. He'd been, I would think, relative to his standards, mediocre lately. I think, what, 12 catches for, like, 60 yards in the previous three games, which isn't particularly up to his level of expected performance better today but he was in a rut in that first half and then so you're talking about not blocking on screens not blocking on run plays you know when the play wasn't designed for him or coming to him he just wasn't an active participant and that's discouraging because that's a guy they have really high hopes for but I will give him a lot of credit for this he really did turn around he played I think a lot harder in the second half but I think he also counted four drops in the second half is that accurate uh, here's, I don't want this to be a defense of him, or at least of what yeah. how he started. But it was something I was thinking about as the game was going on. If you're a receiver who is routinely just embarrassing your man, getting wide open, and should be prancing backwards into the end zone, but instead you're having to stop, stand, and wait for a ball, and then get crushed by three people while you make a difficult catch over a defensive back, and nothing's being changed. And this is going on for several games now. 
do you just get so frustrated that it's – I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to make a defense. you got to play through it no matter what. But I can see where this is frustrating for someone like him who is playing well. And I, like I said, he was getting open anytime he wanted today, Saturday, mm-hmm. against Texas Tech. And it – Again, should have had 300-some yards, three <laughs> touchdowns. Like, I mean, we're talking like Stedman-Bailey against Baylor kind of numbers is yeah. what he should have had today. And it's a game did. where he can do that, too. I mean, they're going to play those three high safeties, and that one's going to be intermediate, which means he's at, he's at a depth. And that guy, that that rover or whatever you want to call it, he's not going to spin and run with Sam James. He's not going to backpedal with Sam James. And if he can part those two, if he can part the corner and the safety, he's going to get open, and he kept doing that. Um, but this – this is an observation, but there were times as far back as the Oklahoma game where the pass went to Ali Jennings or the pass went to a running back, and, and he's open. And you can see him just expressing something after the play. Um, you know, the, the one the one we're going to talk about is a big ball. It should have been, I, I want to say, an 80-something yard touchdown, and it goes for, you know, just, I'm using quotes here, just a 47-yard gain. But that's a big difference, and they ended up turning the ball over on that drive. Um which I think is the play we're going to talk about soon. <laughs> but that's the difference. And again, West Virginia is – I'm not sure what they're good at offensively right now. And what concerns me is that not only are things getting better, we're kind of adding to the, what they're not good at. And like short-yarded stuff is one thing, but like it seems that stuff inside the red zone is getting more and more difficult and you're having to resort to some weird gadgety stuff. Um, so, yeah, 80-something yard touchdowns are not the norm or the expectation. But when you got a chance to get one, you really got to because they um their their success shrinks when the field shrinks now. Well, let's jump right into that. Let's then. do it. You you asked about it in post game. Uh, what was it? First and ten from the seventeen yard line, I believe. Um, again, the play right before that. I'm trying to find it. I believe that would have been a sixty seventy yard touchdown, maybe even longer. There it is. No, that would have been an 83-yard touchdown mm-hmm. if it was even a half-decent throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, James has to stop, wait on it, and make an acrobatic catch over a defender. And, only quote, only 47 yards. And then... I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not being hyperbolic here because we know what happened. Yeah, I've racked my memory, and I've seen some bad football, I've, and I've... I mean, my job is to be questioning the nature of, of decisions or whatever. It's definitely one of the most inexplicable, inexplicable play calls, and it might be one of the worst that I've seen because it just logically doesn't fit. You, a flea flicker from the 17-yard line has an extraordinarily low percentage of success. And, and sorry, real quick correction: a 64-yarder would have been this one. I okay. was looking at the I was looking at the 17 and doing the math that way. But yes, from the 17-yard line, because as we kind of talked about beforehand and you, you posted on the board, it's quite, uh, quite literally not possible really to run a flea picker from the 17 yard line. Like, well, let's, let's think about the mechanism. Time. Let's think about what has to happen. You're, you're handing the ball off and your running back has to give enough of an effort of time and expression to draw the defense in. And that includes somebody in the middle, right? So he has to be a threat to run the ball. Um, and to do that, requires time while that time is ticking your receivers who are fast 
are running routes. Um, and you might be able to buy some time by bending a route. So it takes longer to run 10 yards vertical and seven yards diagonal than it does 17 yards vertical. I hope that makes sense here. But that has to happen so fast when you're in the red zone because, and again, Brown's explanation doesn't quite work for me because I don't think what what, what he explained is what I necessarily saw or witnessed, but it's, it's such an unusual call because the timing just doesn't work. Things have to happen really, really fast in the red zone. The things that you hear offensive and defensive players say all the time is that it's hard to run anything because the space is so shrunk and you're calling a play that relies on vertical space that does not exist. At best, in that situation, you have... 27 yards for your receivers to work with. That's not what you want there. It's uh, a really bad play. I mean, it's a really bad play. I don't know how else to say that. Like, and this is where West Virginia is at. Um, you had a double pass today for a touchdown. Great call. Um, on the 21 yard line, I believe. So again, you're getting down there and you're having to do weird stuff. And then you have a flea flicker on the 17. I don't know that I've ever seen a flea flicker inside the 20. I I, I will probably. With a certainty, say I've never seen that happen before. Um, but also, like Brown said, that the safeties were up and everybody was up. That's natural in the red zone, though, because everything is just shrunk in there too. And I just don't think that play had enough time to develop for it to work. And then it also didn't work because uh, it was thrown to someone on the right side, blew a block, um, just missed, and I caught put pressure on Kendall. He did not have a very clean pocket, and he made a poor decision. And a poor throw. Um, I don't think there was any chance that pass was getting completed, and it was such a bad throw and so easily seen that I believe a third defender from the side actually um, kind of swept over and picked the ball off. And for those who who didn't listen to the post game or read the story, uh, when Mike asked Brown about that in the post game, the answer was he was just fishing. Uh, West Virginia, I believe, at the time was zero for three in the red zone uh, before that, and. That was what he he just was trying anything to try to get a first down or get a touchdown. Let me stop you there. What do you think of that? Because I, I think that that's, I would say, by and large, true. I don't think that that's necessarily on the card. I think if you're looking for a play that can trick people, that's good. It seems like they've just kind of stopped doing play action because they don't run the ball. I don't think you need to be able to run the ball necessarily to call play action. But um, I get what he's saying. Like, And, again, we just talked about this. They're not very good right now when the ball gets closer to the goal line. They can't run. So you can tear out a couple pages of your playbook there. Um, you can't do some stuff that may play off of run threats. So that kind of things your playbook a little bit. I do buy that part that he was just saying, hey, got to call something. And nothing else we call it work up to that point. So let's do something different. I'm okay with that. Is that is that adequate for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was right, but I do agree. You know, you got to, I guess, I understand that he's just saying, I'm trying anything. Yeah. I, I think his... His honesty, it, as much as I don't know if that was, I don't believe that was the right decision, his honesty is refreshing because he's being, uh, I think he's being truthful there. I don't think he was making up a thing to just kind of dismiss your question. I think he was being honest that he was just trying anything to, to anything to get this offense moving, get it to get in the end zone. Yeah, my assertion wasn't that it was a bad call when I asked him the question, but I mean, I think I even prefaced it by saying this is not something you see called in the red zone very often. You know, what did you think you had and what did you see? And he explained, like, hey, we're fishing, which is, again, I think that's probably a legitimate response. But he also said that it wasn't a good play call because it didn't work. And, yeah, if they score a touchdown there, brilliant. But the likelihood of that actually working in that situation is not very good. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So before we kind of flip over to the defense here, quick rapid fire. You got 30 seconds to convince me one way or another. Is Jared Daigie starting next week? I talked to two players. I left my laptop inside the um, building, so I had to go back in. I was waiting, and I talked to two players, and um, one on offense, one on defense. And, like, I didn't ask him, but just, hey, how'd it go? How'd it feel? How'd it look? Um, it was different. It was better. You can tell. Um, and, and also, it kind of – I think it takes some relief off of everybody because they don't have to worry about now what happened, um, and now you go forward. And I think that they were a little bit more energetic, but I don't think everything was better, and to be honest with you. It looked kind of similar, didn't it? It did. I think that's what bothered me the most. I was, I was wondering what I would be able to take from a full quarter plus of of Diggy, what we would be able to see. And he came out, and I think his first you know, five or six throws were all just little flares to the running back or a quick wide receiver screen, which is the same thing Kendall was doing. And then Sam James dropped, I think it was three straight passes. Um <laughs> And so it's like, man, well, what do you take from this? I do think the one thing I noticed was that they were, uh, that they were, he was throwing it with a little more zip, I felt like. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, it, it's hard to say that it was definitively better. But again, it's only one quarter, so I'm not entirely sure what to take of it. And, I mean, I've I've been very vocal about my stance on this. I would have started today's game with Daigie huh. um, and gone the last four games. And if West Virginia goes four and zero or three and one with Daigie, he sits and somebody else gets a turn at quarterback for the bowl game. But now it's, I, I think I I wouldn't even think twice about this. I would tell Kendall to get his hand um, healed up, take the rest of the year off, get his hand healed up for a quarterback competition in the spring and I'd hand the keys to Daigie for the rest of the season. Yeah. That's, I think that that's changes, just me though. I think that changes the mood and I think it gives everybody a new purpose. Uh, this, this season is, let's be honest, three games left. Right. Um, right. And, and it kind of gives them a new goal. And this, this team needs a new goal right now. It looks like a bowl was not going to happen. And if you can kind of give your guys three wins, get your seniors off on the good path. Hey, that's great. But if you can also get, you know, some things figured out and write it too. That's that's an incentive for them. I'm not sure that's the the motivation, but I just don't know how you can go back right now. I do think that Brown did well to wait as long as he could. Um, it would have been really hard to put Daigie into that situation in the first half, perhaps even unfair. Um, the second half didn't start especially well, and then I didn't think anything short of James Wiseman's lawyer and a temporary <laughs> restraining order was going to keep Kendall in the game after the interception on the flea flicker. It was just a bad decision at that point. I don't know how you can go back because, again – 
If your offense doesn't work, and the one thing you can change is the quarterback. Um, but I, I'll say this: Brown is continually in defense of Kendall, and and said pretty strongly that I wish quarterback was our problem, which makes me think that Kendall will be the starter um, if all things are equal during the week in practice. I don't think it's going to be an 80-20 split of reps. I think you're going to see closer to 50-50 because you have to at this point. Um, but I would not be surprised if Kendall is your starter, um, which kind of leads me to this. They said during the week they had a plan for Daigie and for Trey Lowe. Trey Lowe, probably not. He's not even wearing quarterback wrists anymore. Um, so that may not be uh, his future right now. Uh, what was the plan for Daigie? Was it just to come in and run the Kendall offense? Or did, did you see anything different out there with him as far as calls and execution? No, I think that was the most disappointing part of that last quarter for me. Was yeah. just It was just the same. I didn't... It, it, again, not the same that Diggy was the same as Kendall, but that the play calling was the same. The issues around, I mean, I, I obviously not expecting the issues around him to change because the personnel still the same around him, but there's just not a lot to take of it. Cause I didn't feel like there was, cause usually in all these situations, even before like that comment, I would have thought that you have a set list of plays cause they are. So you've discussed this before with, with Jack Allison and Kendall, how the coaches have gone back all the way to the spring and have charted all these plays of what what routes, what plays each quarterback does well, doesn't do well, and that's how they're going to adjust their game plan. And I'm trying to if if Jared Diggy is just Austin Kendall 2.0, and they're running the same plays in the same offense, then true. And, you know, and again, I'm not trying to just pile it on Kendall here. I think I've said before the year and I've maintained the same thing. I think he's a decent quarterback that can get this team to five and seven or six and six over the course of a whole year. But um, West Virginia needs better than decent to slightly below average quarterback play if they want to be competitive in this league. Yeah, especially with the way things are um, right now, too. Um, but I don't know. I just think about some of the things I saw that I thought that Daigie maybe intentionally did a little bit different. He called his own number on RPO on the goal line. Um, and he moved around a little bit too and kept plays live, which not necessarily he did that because he saw that Kendall didn't. I think he did that because he can. And that's a difference with me too, which means maybe you can call things a little bit differently um, because you know that he's got perhaps a little bit more wherewithal, which means, you know, maybe you can run some like one or two man routes and play action because if it breaks down, Diggy's more likely to get outside the pocket and do something. Perhaps you can get in a play action RPO because Diggy's not necessarily uh, gun shy and he'll call his own number there too. Um, how about a comment from the post game? Uh, Are we getting to the F word now? We don't use the F word around here anymore. Um, but Brown and I'll, I'll read. He was talking about. He was asked, you know, was he worried this was coming? And he says, no. We know we had okay practices, not great, but like I didn't. I'm not gonna look back and say. We should have known we were going to be bad today because our practices were bad. But he said he was worried about something like this happening. And he said, fragile is the word I've used with the staff. Um, fragile. And he said part of us playing young people. And sometimes they get exposed to things and you know, things aren't going their way for the first time. And listen, a lot of these guys didn't lose five games in a season in high school or across their entire high school career. Um they're not used to the guy across from being better than them. <laughs> like these are all the best players on their team and their district and their state. It's very different right now. And there's a collection of them too. Um, but with that comes fragility, which is, I'll tell you in a second why, but it's a very strong word. Um, that was kind of an arresting comment, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, talking about how 
I appreciate his honesty and being upfront about everything. And then that one just, as soon as he said the word, I was like, oh man. And then he said it again, like one sentence later um, and admitted that, that he thinks about it all the time, that he talks with his other, with his coaching staff about it. I mean, I think that's true for a lot of teams all over the country, but you just don't often hear them discuss it publicly right after a game, because I think it is a sensitive subject. I think there are, just for the he's everything he said was I think 100% right was yeah. this is an extremely young team that's going through a tough time and many of these guys have been you know amazing all their lives and never done anything wrong and they've always been on good teams and and now things are just kind of all going wrong some of them are getting more banged up than they've ever been banged up before some of them are getting hurt for the first time some of them are losing uh, you know, losing a starting job when they've probably started since they were freshmen in high school, stuff like that. And, and then doing it on national television in front of 60,000 fans and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. And it's just piling on, you know, five in a row for the first time since 2012. And it'll, it'll wear on guys, especially in that locker room, especially with some guys leaving. And um, it's, it's a harsh reality of where things are right now. Um, but it definitely caught me off guard that he just kind of openly was like, at, quote, absolutely, it's fragile. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. I admire the honesty because it's fun to type stuff like that, and it's fun to put stories like that out into the, the conversation. And I think, again, it's honest, and it's probably not what people want to hear. Um Players are going to have an issue with that. I think it's going to require an explanation. And and one exists. And again, I think the truth is going to hurt more than anything else. But I did ask three players about it. Uh, Sean Mahone, who was pretty good today. I believe he had 10 solo tackles and, and did his job in the back end when, you know, especially early, it was not the case across the, the safety position. They started the three two six again, by the way. Moved uh, Josh Norwood back there. Started Kerry Martin. And uh, Kerry Martin's had good moments this year. Um, and he's got a long way to go, and he, and he hasn't really left the starting line, so to speak, because he's so new to it, but um, going to have to get better in some key areas before they can really rely on him in key stretches. But um, I asked Sean Mahone, and he quickly denied the F word and said that, you know, uh, kind of backed up what Brown said, um, which is kind of strange, but also kind of the point here, too. And then I asked uh, George Campbell about it, and he kind of looked at me funny and went, into a why they're not fragile and Ruben Jones, who is a, um, a really straight shooter and, and does not give you the answer you want. He gives you the answer that he has, which is really admirable. Um, he said, pretty much said, wait, what can you say that again? And I did. And he wanted to know what I meant by it. And it just seemed to me like that word caught some people off guard. And here's why, um, you know, these are, these are like gladiators and shoulder pads. They like to think, you know, they play with, a you know, extremities and torsos that are hurt and injured, or, you know, they're supposed to lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds over their head. They're tough guys. They don't think fragile. They get hit at high speeds. You know, they put in you know 20 <laughs> hours a week and then hours a day on top of that on their own. Um, they're conditioned to be tough, not fragile. Um, and you don't make it here unless you're tough. And if you're not tough, you're not going to last. Um, but if you even suggest insecurities and questions you ask, um, they will step on that. Players will step on that all the time. So, you know, if you say something like, hey, you know, so-and-so, you know, got going a couple of times, that might have been a little bit scary for the defense. And they go, well, I'm not scared of anybody. 
oh, okay. And if you just raise anything like that, scared, frightening, intimidating, anything like that, guys do not relent. They do not. Um, and that's what the reporters. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm just curious. I don't think that's the first time that's been said. I'm guessing it won't be the last time it's been said. Just wonder how that'll go over with everybody because it's probably by and large true and maybe it'll help people admit it. But that is not something people are going to like to hear if they haven't already heard it, which, again, I think they probably have. So no threats for you tonight? You're I won. Good? No, I won. Ah, that's good. Um, so we've covered – we've kind of looking forward to – we've covered the Jarrett Diggy, Austin Kendall angle – but what else what what needs to change before next week cuz now it's what on the road at Kansas State I really guessing. different challenge too like yeah. more Baylor than Texas Tech and I I, I was kind of worried about this game for West Virginia because they're not equipped to play catch up and Texas Tech could do some things um and and I guess not having Guzman was a big deal even though he played but I'm not sure he saves the day. It just seemed that they they weren't ready to go. And the defensive uh, game plan was, I don't know. I'm not saying I don't know what it was. I'm just not sure what they're trying to do. But it wasn't supposed to look like it did. They're better than that. We've seen better than that. But now they go to something totally different. Um, you're not going to see receivers running routes like that. You're not going to see the tempo, which some of the players said they weren't really prepared for, um, which is strange because that's what Texas Tech does. But that may also have to do with practice, practice limitations, which Brown has talked about, too. They can't do a lot in practice right now, so perhaps they didn't get a lot of live action against tempo, which makes you have to line up faster. And we saw some pretty clear, I don't know, alignment, assignment errors, pre-snap. Um, but that's not going to happen against Tech, Kansas State. But Kansas State's different. They're going to get big, and they're going to smash you, which is what they did to Oklahoma. That's what they've done to FCS teams and everybody in between with pretty good success this year. So, um that's going to be a game that is not friendly to fragile people, which makes me wonder, um, you know, how contrived was that line by Brown? Um, that is a challenge because that is a no fragile allowed game next week because those guys will come at you and smash you if you're not ready or if you are ready. And the difference between 38-17 and, you know, a win or a much more competitive game is how they handle that challenge. Uh, Kansas State, by the way, as at the moment of uh, this recording, beating Texas at Texas uh, without their starting running back who left very early in the game. And Skylar Thompson, who is not known as a passer, is all of a sudden passing the ball extremely well, which does not bode well for West Virginia if he's going to be a two dual threat like that next week. Um, so it's not a fun place to go to either. Like that, no. that crowd is going to be whipped up. And I mean, that's that's as good a home field when it's rocking as there probably is in the league and there's some good ones and that's no worse than anybody else. So that's, that's another atmosphere that they're going to have to get ready for. And what 30 some degrees with whipping winds out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That's the perpetual there. That's like 36 and spitting rain, not snow, you know, not rain. It's like right in between and gray. Uh, it's always like that. It seems like it's a condition every time out in Manhattan. Okay. So let's end it on this. Uh, Neil Brown has been talking about, and the whole team, he's got them all talking about, one and seasons from here on out. Um, they're coming off back to back zero and one seasons, mm-hmm. uh, and now heading to Kansas State. What's a win for this team? Not on the score scoreboard. You know what do you have to see from this team this week to think? Because I think we're what a couple of weeks in a row now where it's going. It, you know things were looking up there for a few weeks, even with a couple of the losses, and it has not been that way. Uh, except, you know, maybe the defense last week, or not maybe, but definitely the defense last week. Um, what is going to help you make, you know, 
get some more confidence into where things are going right now. You can't let the other team beat you at their game and you have to take advantage of the things that they let you take advantage of. And I, I mean, we could talk about spin and, and things like that. And I think in a situation like this, coaches and players are prone to do that and right to do that. you got to get the message out the way you want to. Um, was West Virginia close in all those games? Not really. The final scores don't say so. And West Virginia is a team that can fade in the third and fourth quarter. Also, West Virginia is a team that's pretty bad in the first quarter now, too, and that was exposed again today. Um, so getting better at the start of the game is probably more realistic than getting better at the end just because of the attrition and the nature of the roster right now. But I'm not even concerned about that. I'm looking at how they lost today. Um, Texas Tech did what they do. They played fast, and they hit some big plays on offense, and – um, you know, pass the ball. Really good quarterback, too, by the way. Duffy's a lot better than he was last year. And last year, I thought he was a good player. Um, but Texas Tech played its game. Um, but you didn't make Texas Tech do anything that is typical of them on the defensive side, which is a problem. Um, Baylor. Baylor wins close games, um, and you let them win that game. You got into a situation where it was close for them, and they made the plays. They blocked a field goal. They kicked a field goal. You know, they they you missed some tackles, and they got, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 yards on a third and 18 play to kick a field goal. Um, just keep going through these games. Yeah, Oklahoma's Oklahoma, but what do they do? They put big runs on people, and they hit big plays, and you let them do that. Um, hard to hold that against West Virginia. But Iowa State, what happens to Iowa State? Iowa State plays its game. And that's what he said right after that game, that they're really good at getting in the inside lane and running their race. And they did. Um, so all these games, probably even going back to Texas too, they played their style in one. And West Virginia hasn't nudged anybody out of the way, which I understand is hard to do. But a win would be, okay, let's not let Kansas State have the ball for 35 minutes. Let's not let them hand it off. 55 times and run for 260 yards. You know, let's get a lead. Let's have the time of possession on our side. Let's stop the run here. Let's make Skylar Thompson beat us, which maybe he can't. I don't know. But um, a win for me would be let's take away their right hand and let's make them box left-handed. You mentioned these other teams' style play. What's West Virginia's style play? TBD right now. <laughs> um, and we talked about this, too, and and – you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was a good a good point by Brown and something to circle and remember. But, you know, the whole uh, I'm not really worried about what the other team does. I'm working on my team. Yeah. I don't know where the progress is visible like with that right now, too. Um, the running game is broke. It hasn't gotten better. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing. But today they got behind and didn't even try to run the ball, really. Just token stuff. I think 18 handoffs. Not great. Um they got a quarterback ready to come in and do what the other quarterback does. I'm not sure that's progressive either. Just I'm not sure what they do. And and a lot of it is throwing out stuff that doesn't work, which I can accept that. If things don't work, you kind of have to change it too. So I don't know what they are. They're not good in the red zone on offense or on defense. Um, they're not a team that can hit big plays on offense or stop them on defense right now too. They're not a ball control team with a run or, or short calculated passes and not a team that can stuff you on defense and, and win like a 17, 14 game, They're not a team that can come back on you. Um, it's, it's kind of a flavor of the day right now, which is, you know, this is, <laughs> football is not built for the cheesecake factory. You really have to have a couple of things you can do and, and not just pick one item on one day and try to do it. You have to have a pretty small menu and be good at what you do. Well, that was depressing as hell. Mike, thanks. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I can't disagree with anything you said there. So just giving you a hard time on that, but uh, 61, by the way, 61 passes, second most in a game for West Virginia in school history today. Who said the air raid was there? 
61. Uh, What's more than that? The Baylor game? Uh, 2011 LSU, according to WVU Ooh. stats. Okay. 65 in that game. Also uh, a low-scoring loss, by the way. Uh, just wildly inefficient passing. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for, for our recap and reaction to this game. Um, as always... Mike's going to have updates from the locker room over the next 24 to 48 hours. We'll have power rankings up. I'll have visitor updates as well. Um, shocking news, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, recruits still had a good time. I know fans were miserable. Uh, it was tough to watch on television, but recruits still enjoyed it. They still see promise. They still are making connections with the staff. So uh, all is not lost on the recruiting trail either. Um Anything else, Mike, you got coming up that uh, I might be missing? No, the post-game stuff was pretty much, you know, what now? Pick up the pieces. Um, if it's fragile and it's broken, you know, how do you put it together, which seems pretty obvious. But, um, you know, there's probably some stuff in the quarterback situation and what they do with these final three games. But also, basketball season, man. Basketball looks pretty good. I think they're going to be entertaining. And I think a lot of storylines to watch from the starting lineup all the way down to the end of the bench here and how, you know, 12 or 13, actually probably 11 or 12 guys, probably 11, are going to affect this team because I think that they could probably play on one night or another 11 guys and find a couple that work. And I think we saw that happen on um, Friday night where, you know, maybe one or two guys didn't have it or got in foul trouble, but they still scored 94 points without major contributions from major players. It's pretty wild to think about that. Oh, and that's next week at Pitt. Yeah. So, By big, the way, did you see what happened to Pitt today? Uh, was that Nickel State? Big win for Nickel State? Yeah. That's a nice little Good RPI builder for Nickel uh -huh. State. Yeah, I'm sure Huggins is going to love the RPI boost from playing Pittsburgh, too. <laughs> um, well, that'll wrap it up the Country Roads Confidential for this evening. Uh, be sure to check out everything over at earsports.com. And for the love of God, I cannot believe they're running this again. But the two months for one dollar deal, um, if you missed out on it when we ran it a couple months ago, now is the time. That will cover all of football season. Uh, all of non-conference basketball season, all of the uh, football official visits into the new year, the early and biggest football signing day, the early and biggest basketball signing day. Um, it's got you covered for a buck, one dollar. And think about so, this too. We're gonna we're gonna see transaction season here too. We're gonna have players leave. I think. A, I, I mean, it just okay. says you're not gonna have all ten assistant coaches back. So someone leaves. You know, someone's hired. I'm not predicting that. That's just the nature. You're. you're Heads or tails, you know, it's, it's not even like odds like that. You're going to have one of 10 leave or 10 of 10 leave. I don't know. It's just that's the way college football is now. Um, but also basketball, you're going to have a lot of like figuring things out in the fly here. And this basketball team is extremely talkative. Um, like it was not a lot of fun to cover them the last couple of years because they're businesslike or they weren't winning. Um, there are two handfuls of talkers on this team that are pretty funny, pretty enlightening, and uh, seem like they're really willing to let people in behind the curtain, which is not always the case in sports, too. So um, maybe I shouldn't have said behind the curtain. Maybe I should have <laughs> said behind the paywall. Yeah. Well, that'll wrap us up for the night. Uh, be sure to, we'll be back on the podcast most likely Wednesday morning um, discussing more football, more basketball, and then again next weekend. So until then, I'm Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casazza. Thanks for listening.